Let's just go. Let's just get into it. Let's do it. We're on. Oh, we're on? Episode five. Parked up. Five? Why wait? Why wait? Yeah, five. Unbelievable. I didn't think we'd make it this far. I say that every week though, don't I? We haven't been pulled off the air just yet. <laughs> How's your week been, mate? Mate, it's been uh, pretty good. Pretty normal. And the normal at the moment is uh, me working for my old man, helping out there, earning a few dollars on the side because, as I've mentioned, all the work that I normally do, uh, the driver training stuff and event work is all you know stopped at the moment. So, yeah, I'm uh, getting my hands dirty and working for the family business, same as sort of Will Brown in, in many ways, not selling cars but going back to my roots a little bit. So I used to actually work there probably 10 years ago before I sort of became a little bit more serious on the racing side. And now at the moment, while we're parked up, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to go back and learn a few skills and keep busy. Amazing. That's right. You said parked up. And that's what this podcast is called. It's parked up. My name is Grant Rowley. I'm the media man for the Australian Racing Group. And you are Tony Delberto, racer for the TCR Australia Honda. Yeah, amongst a whole bunch of other things. And one of the things that we have been filling our time in with is online racing. And man, we're finding we're, oh. we're going through some waves of waves of emotion, <laughs> real waves of emotion. The uh, the first event we were plagued with um, some internet problems. Second event went really well, mm. and that was a, a great improvement. There was no no real no real problems. Some really good racing. The third event, which we just had at Watkins Glen was probably the best racing that we had. Uh, unfortunately, the stream the stream smashed itself into a wall just moments before we um, well, we went live. It was literally, as you said, okay, guys, hit it, basically, let's go. And everything just went boof, down. And then, so we went to go on air at 8 o'clock, and then we're scrambling. I think we got on at like 8.20 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, just before the first race. But... Bear in mind, we were there at six o'clock. You were there before then, making sure everything was actually working properly. We were ready. We were practicing, commentating, interviewing the drivers while they were practicing for two hours prior to qualifying. So we were sort of like pretty relaxed. You, you know? were doing some vocal exercises, <laughs> some uh, high notes, some yes. low notes. Yes. Uh, and then as soon as we said, let's go, the whole thing just shut down. And this is what... You know, people probably don't understand the, the amount of effort and work that goes in. They, they sort of tune in at 8 o'clock and it's not working. And it's, they probably think that we've just rocked in five minutes before and press play, let's go. But We definitely haven't been at the pub this shut. It's certainly not like that at all. So, you know, we're as gutted as anybody else. Like, we want it to run really smooth. We're, we're trying to provide entertaining entertainment for everybody. Uh, and like you said, the racing is getting better the drivers are getting more familiar with what's going on. We're tuning up the race format. Uh, but unfortunately, we went backwards a little bit last night with the broadcast. As soon as we got things going, uh, it turned out really good. The mm. racing was excellent. There was still a little bit of, um, there was a bit of carnage out mm. there. Great. Um, yeah, it is kind <laughs> of, it is good, I guess. Uh, there was, and like a few of the drivers within are, are kind of now starting to get a real handle of it, starting to also complain a little bit when they get taken off, yeah. which I don't blame, and, that, and that's great. That's the competitive spirit that we, that we really want. Mm. I want to say to them, dude, chick, 
girl, mm. boy, whoever you are, it's just a game. Yes. Just relax. But, but you know, you want that fighting, fighting spirit. Mm. And you know, whether it's complaints or penalties or, or whatever, I get it. But uh, but it's all we've got at the moment, though. So it's actually good in a way to see the, the drivers applying themselves. They're practicing. They're getting ready for the events, just like they would in you know if they were getting ready for a race. So you know they are getting a little bit upset if somebody takes them out and. Yeah, it's, it's not so serious, but we also don't want a, a crash them up derby either. One thing that, you know, speaking to a few of the drivers, because I'm certainly not that you know, experienced in sim racing, they're saying it's really, really tricky to actually feel if you're touching somebody. You know, you, you're getting nice and close, but there's no feeling there if you're actually, you know, lifting their back wheels off the ground. So, and we saw that quite a few times last night when people were trying to bump draft each other. Suddenly the car was turned around and it was, cause chaos so do you think that's something to do with the front wheel drive cars that we're using that we've used in the first couple of rounds i'm not sure to be honest I'm, I'm really not sure i mean the rear of the car you know generally if it's rear wheel drive is squatted down and there's a bit more you know weight or on the rear wheels so on the rear of the car maybe in the, the front wheel drive cars they're so light in the rear that when you do give them a little tap it just unweights them enough to you know lose the rear of the car and send them into the into a spin so I'm not too sure, but you know, we saw that two or three times. It wasn't like it was happening every single lap, but we saw some awesome battles as well. You, you know, like the battle there for the lead uh, in race one, I thought was fantastic. Uh, even race two there at the start when Garth was battling with Ricky Capo and, and then it went on later in the race with Haber. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. It was awesome battles and to, to see some new winners as well. Ash Sutton's obviously a standout for the, for the category. Uh, he he's not doing it easy though. I didn't think uh, on uh, at Watkins Glen. He sort of he still won the race, but he had to work a bit harder for it. So just to recap, Harley Haber and Ash Sutton took victories uh, in the, in the two races. Uh, Ash Sutton now has a pretty substantial lead in the series, just through some really great consistency. Dylan O'Keefe came into the round three leading, had a bit of a shocker, mm. was involved in a couple of incidents, one which he caused himself and sent about five cars flying off. Uh, so he's dropped down to fourth. But uh, the man who made the biggest impression for me, the one who uh, took it to the the leaders was Thomas Randall. Oh, yeah. He was right in mm. for a podium in that first 30-minute longer race. We used a compulsory pit stop. I thought he did outstanding. Qualified down in 12th or 13th. Yeah. Raced his way through to what was going to be second or yeah. third. Well, he got himself up into second and then come into contact. And I think it was, was it last lap? Second last lap. Yeah, no, no, last lap. Last lap. Last, last, last corner. Last corner. Yeah. Like, that was a real disappointment because he had a lot of pace on board. Um, and he doesn't sort of you know, think of himself as a sim expert. He hasn't done a huge amount. So he obviously gelled well with that circuit. Car was working well. And he was obviously driving the car. Uh, well, also, and looking after those tyres. Look, I love the ARG eSport Cup. I think it's great, especially during these times. And I think online racing absolutely has a pretty cool future mm. moving moving forward after this. We've just got to get over some of these uh, yeah, technical issues. Absolutely. And um, already we've been working hard to try and overcome it, like we did with the first uh, broadcast when we had problems. But... These are sort of new problems, so we're trying to work. It's all it's all good when it works well, but um, we're not sure why it worked well. So that's probably what we've got to get on top of. <laughs> we'll fix it up. <laughs> that was that was my gruff, unhappy voice. So we're up to episode five of Parked Up, and any time I see the number five, 
I always put a zero in front of it. It's 05. 05 yeah. is such a iconic number in Australian motorsport. Something that we all grew up with, the, the legendary, the king of the mountain, Peter Brock. You know, I can't go through a day without seeing a number five and always imagining 05 on there, which was a uh, sponsorship arrangement that they had with, that he had with the uh, Victorian government and part of the, the drink driving program mm -hmm. for um, to be under 0.05 blood alcohol. Yep. So I think about episode five of Parked Up, I just automatically think of of, of Peter Brock. So um, look, I grew up in a Ford household. Mm. He was kind of the enemy, really, from where <laughs> where I was. But you obviously uh, came. Who was your idol, Dicky? Yeah, Dick, Dick, I guess, and so Dick Johnson, John, John Bow, a little bit Glenn Seaton. But certainly, as time went on, uh, I became more of a JB JB fan. Oh, I reckon. Right. We should get JB um, on the podcast. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he's um, and and you know, in my working world, mm. someone that was always as a young bloke, he was always super kind and. Mm. And, uh, and easy to work with and always more than happy to help. It was actually but this his is birthday last week. Well, happy birthday. His 45th JP. birthday, apparently. <laughs> Again. For the 12th time, I plus, think. Plus, ta <laughs> plus tax. Hey, tell you what, he's looking good for his age, though. And Isn't he? can it? still drive a race car. There you go. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I actually had a look. Beats around in his touring car masters, mm. Holden Tirana. Which um, offends me massively. My yeah. my fifteen year old self would be massively offended to see JB in a. Um, but I saw a, a thing. Holden. I saw a thing on Facebook the other day celebrating JB's birthday, and it had some of his stats, and it was like ridiculous amount of poles, race wins, fastest laps. Like, if I even got you know a tenth of the way there, I'd be pretty happy as a race driver. So, he's raced everything, won everything, and has been a competitive racing driver for. a very very long time probably you know raced against brocky a lot he did of course yeah you know? um now getting back to brocky and the, i don't know, know let's episode, just stick with jb well we can we can interview jb at another point all right um it's a fifth episode so we want to have a little bit of chat about uh brocky and i've got a really cool story go for it uh when i was younger um as i've already mentioned my dad's business or our family business is in the automotive industry we got car dealerships, but part of it was actually spray painting. And we used to spray paint all HSVs, front bumpers and side skirts and spoilers and everything they added on to a normal Commodore, we painted. Anyway, so I was at school one day and mum rocks up and drags me out of class. And she's like, we've got a special visitor. You have to come home right now. You have to, I have to take you right now. And I'm like, really? Who is it? JB. It, no, it wasn't JB this time, mate. <laughs> it, my mum asked me, who do you think it is? Who do you think it is? And I said, oh, maybe someone from England because my mum's a pom. You know, maybe someone, a family member had come over. No. Anyway, so get in the car, go down to work. And generally when I used to go to work on a Saturday, I'd be emptying bins. And I thought, surely mum hasn't got me out of school to empty some bins, you know. Like, come on. It's got to be better than that. Anyway, I get there and there's a Commodore... HSV sitting in the workshop and then dad greets me and tells me all about this car and it was Peter Brock's personal car so he I don't know he probably didn't but somebody had scratched the front bumper on it and we were just doing a little touch-up on it so a little bit of a repair and uh, Peter was kind enough to actually drive the car to the workshop uh, spend some time with all the boys that worked for dad uh, so when I got there and saw the car and Dad explained that, Peter was still there at the time. 
and I got to meet him, got to spend some time with him. And I've actually got this photo that I posted actually recently uh, of myself, Peter and dad standing in the workshop. And what is so strange now is I'm working in that same workshop as we speak right now. Yeah, that's so cool. it's, that was probably my first time that I met Peter. I mean, obviously I'd watched his races and all that sort of stuff and a big fan. Um, but he was, it was like he had an aura around him. You know, he, he, was, uh, he was a special person, there's no doubt about it. When you met him, you know, you, you really got a, a special feeling, you know, when you spoke to the guy. He, he had a lot of presence, put it that way. So that was a really special moment for me and uh, all our family as well because we had such an affiliation with Holden and to have the king at our workshop getting his car repaired was really, really special. Yeah, amazing. He is a, uh, like he did walk around with that, that, that sense that mm. you just knew, even if you didn't know who he was, if you saw him walking around, you'd mm. probably think, wow, this guy is actually he, he's pretty important, important. Or, you know, he, there's something about this guy. What is it? He would always give you so much time as well. Unfortunately, I didn't get to work with, with him a lot. I started in the business as a journalist in 2003 so it was only three years in before before he passed but uh, where were you at the time when he passed uh, i was at motorsport news Mm -hmm. Uh, we were leading up to a deadline man that would have been hectic yeah it was it was it was on it was on a friday he was competing over at targa west Mm -hmm. and it really wasn't uh i think we may have reported the fact that he was going to go and do this yeah uh, to go and do that event, but um, really it wasn't much on on the radar. You know, it's it's a probably a, a good uh, that club level style style thing. Yeah, low um, key. Always a little confused as to what what he was really why he was yeah. why someone of that ilk was was doing that. But like he just loved he competing. Loved racing. So we were in the office, and my brother had called me, mm. he, and. We had someone else in the office, just a, a guest at Motorsport News, um, and and I saw my brother call, and I should have taken it, mm. and I thought, oh, I, I should take it, but I, I didn't take the call, and um, and then within a minute of missing his call, our phone started to ring, and um, my brother had heard the news was first broken on a radio station in Sydney, which had speculated mm. that Peter Brock had been killed in a an incident in a in a rally and my brother had heard that on the radio in Sydney and had called me to say oh hey have you heard about this mm. I missed the call I, I dodged his call mm-hmm. um, and then yeah within a minute of me missing my brother's call our phone started to ring uh, the first call that motorsport news got was actually from the uh, ad rep at the magazine at the time Brendan Sheridan who's mm. still rolls around the track uh anyway brendan had called and he was with james brock at the time you're kidding and he had called back to motorsport news to say uh i'm with james brock and he's just been told that that peter's been killed um yeah so um at a motorsport magazine things got turned on its head real real quick and pretty much the whole magazine that we had planned got put in the bin yeah and we had uh is three that the days. one that i was on the front cover of? you were not on the front cover of oh, that well we'll just no say way. i was because it's never, never <laughs> there was, went to i think publish. there was only one person on the front <laughs> cover of that one and uh if you talk to the publisher chris lambden mm. probably his biggest selling co- uh, issue of of motorsport news mm-hmm. um so that it was in in hindsight like really cool to be a part of mm. um 
at the time, just all all hands on deck and yeah. and just you know trying to trying to make the best tribute that we that we could. It, yeah. it still is uh, like when I look back at that magazine from from time to time, I've got a, a few copies. It's mm. um, it's really cool to look back at that and see some of the instant reaction that that people had. This is obviously, of course, well before the internet is is yeah, what it is, and, and it was uh, still such a powerful medium. Mm. The the uh, the magazine. So that was a uh, just a huge week. Mm. Obviously, we had Steve Irwin die only four days before as well. Australia was was really in grief. Forget the coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we were hurting. Some of our heroes more. had died. Yeah, exactly. So, we, our, so tell me where where were you when you heard? Oh, I don't that, think uh, I don't think I was died. anywhere special, but I do remember ringing Anthony Tratt because I was doing enduros with him that year in the Toll HSV car, and we we must have. I'm not sure why. I, I'm not sure if I'd called him for that exact reason, but I was chatting to him that day and I was talking to him about it. And I suppose you know him sort of being a similar vintage and probably maybe a bit younger. Sorry, Trady. Uh, you know, probably have raced him many times. So I remember we we had quite a good chat about it at the time. But I can't actually remember where I was on the day. But one of our guests that we had last week, Grant Denya, was actually in that rally. And he told me a story about how he was actually the first car to come across the incident. I mean, that that would be you know, horrendous to actually see. Oh, for anyone. But for anybody. To but see, then to, to see, see the king there. Yeah, to see Peter Brock. And I don't want to go into any detail of what he actually saw, but, you know, just to be that first guy on scene would be horrific. So um, it certainly rocked motorsport. It rocked, you know, the Australian public. You know, he was a, an idol, an icon. Um, somebody that some everybody loved, and uh, that was a real shame, and, and obviously taken too early. But there's a you know massive uh, legacy that's that has lived on even today when we're at the track and or you know out in the road or whatever. When you do see that 05, I always think about Brocky. Always, you know. I don't even need to see the 05. I just see five, and I think 05. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and I think anybody that's had any motorsport background or interest in cars. Everyone knows the name Brocky. You know, it's not just one of those names that uh, you sort of forget. So that was a bit of a tragedy, but we do have some fantastic guests today. Yeah, one sure. of them who is actually a world champion, Formula One world champion. His name is Alan Jones, and he won the 1980 Formula One world title. 1980, what a year for Australian why is, motorsport. Why is that, it was mate? the year I was born, <laughs> and it was the year that... Does that mean you're 40? Yeah, this year. Later on. Wow. But I think all parties are cancelled until next year, so I'm not okay, actually yeah, going to be able to celebrate yeah, right it. Right anyway, now, my party later, right now, Alan Jones. And for the very first time on Parked Up, we welcome a world champion onto our lines. That it is, is the first time ever. First time ever. It's uh, Alan Jones, the 1980 Formula One world champion. And AJ, great to have you on Parked Up. Pleasure. So the world is in a uh, completely crazy place at the moment. We've, uh, we're all spending a lot more time at home than I think we'd, uh, we'd like to. Tell us a little bit about your coronavirus story. Well, pr- presently, I'm doing what I do best, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so t- tell us, uh, th- what's your thoughts on the way the, the, way the world is uh, shaping? Forget the fact that we're not uh, getting to watch and talk about race cars being on circuits that we uh, know and love. Yeah, what's your take on the whole situation? 
<coughs> well, I mean, it's just a very unfortunate situation and, and uh, it's one that we're all in and we've just got to make the very best of it all. And um, I think ScoMo's handling the whole thing very well, to be honest with you. I mean, he's always going to have his distractors, but I, I think uh, what he's doing at the moment is, is a bloody good job. Yeah, we tend to agree that that curve is starting to flatten off, as they say. Now, AJ, uh, you're actually a, well, it wasn't really an ambassador, but for the Grand Prix with S5000, the drivers were racing for your trophy. I thought that was really fitting, uh, obviously, given your history, but also uh, given 40 years uh, celebrating uh, since you're a world champion. So a bit of a shame that we didn't actually get to race for that trophy at the Grand Prix. Maybe uh, they might do it again next year, Grant. Yeah, I hope so. Um, AJ, like obviously, it was a nice memento that we were going to deliver to the S five thousand winner. Your thoughts on on that category and its potential impact for uh, Australian motorsport? Oh well, I'm very much for it. To, I mean, quite honestly, I'm all for anything to do with open wheelers because that's where my true heart lies, and I think that. Um, if we're, you know, if we're looking at a uh, another hopefully Australian world champion, with all due respect, he's not going to come from V8 supercars. That's where you go after you become a world champion, mm. um, you know. And we've got to start bringing on um, open wheeler drivers, and then uh, hopefully they'll go on overseas and, and explore their open wheeler expertise and go on to become Formula One drivers. So I think it's a fantastic category. It sounds good. It looks good. And hopefully, I think it's going to capture the imagination of the racing fans. Yeah, they do sound good. It's like when you you hear them going uh, that first time at Sandown for that first round last year, you know, going down the straight, they sounded fantastic. That roar, it actually brought the crowd to uh, pit lane to actually have a look at what was going on. So they've really done that. They they are raw vehicles. They slide. They don't have much aero. Have I mean, they're probably similar to what you would race when uh, you were racing Formula One or even before then. Well, I mean, I, I did quite a few Formula 5000 races in the old Lola T330 and 332. Um, fortunately, I came out of it without a Lola limp. Mm. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, they always used to capture the imagination of the crowd because, you know, when, when they used to start them up, the, the ground used to shake yep. and um, they sounded good and they looked good. And as you quite rightly say, said, that, you know, they're, they're not aerodynamically dependent as such. Um, and therefore, you can follow the car in front a lot closer and uh, it creates a lot more overtaking uh, positions and opportunities. No, I think it's a great formula. Have you actually had much to do with them? Have you seen the cars up close? I have seen them up close, but that's about it. I haven't had anything else to do with them. Yeah. yeah. We actually had uh, Thomas Randall on our podcast last week and He's obviously driven the S5000 and obviously supercars and lots of other categories. Uh, And he was talking about the lack of aero and the actual mid-corner balance and braking markers are very similar to a supercar, even though you're in an open wheeler, which generally you'd be able to brake deeper and carry more corner speed. But he really liked how much the cars moved around. You know, generally an open wheeler car doesn't sort of move as much, but he said these things really got your attention. Well, yeah, which I'm a, a great sort of fan of. I mean, I really like to see a driver earning his money. I like to see him at his craft. And when he's in a car that is not as aerodynamically dependent or behaves itself 
that's when you see the guy earning his money, you know, like a bit of oversteer or getting the wobbles coming in under brakes. Uh, you know, that's that's what I want to watch, and I think that's what the majority of spectators want to watch. Yeah, look, I think you're exactly right. We, we've obviously lived in a touring car country for, you know, quite a number of years, and, and you played a, a big part in, in that as well during the the 90s as well. Now, I don't know if the S5000 class will take over and, you know, turn us back into open wheel an open-wheel nation like we were <coughs> in the 70s, but do you think it can take a little bit of ground off the touring cars and, and put a bit more emphasis back into real race cars? Well, what I'm saying is I honestly believe there's room for two of them. I mean, I believe... Uh, we are obviously now completely indoctrinated with um, taxis, so we're always going to have those people that are interested in touring cars or whatever you call them, supercars. But there's also a large percentage of people out there that really appreciate open open wheel single seat cars, and I and I think there's room for both of them. And um, you know, I, I can't really see why you couldn't have both on the same program. I think they would complement each other very well. Now, Tony alluded to this uh, just before that the Australian Grand Prix Corporation had gone to some great lengths to celebrate the 40 years since your historic Formula One World Championship victory. And unfortunately, that got slide tackled by um, this virus that uh, seems to be dominating the world at the moment. Uh, a, a real shame. Uh, can you give us a little insight into you know some of those um, those special things that the Grand Prix Corporation had in line for you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a bit hard to sit here and, and blabber on and feel sorry for yourself and complain about the situation you know, of it not happening because there's a lot more people out there at the moment that have been considerably more inconvenienced than than ever I was. Um, but, you know, it, it is a shame because um, I was certainly looking forward to it and, and, and uh, they were going to allow me to lead the driver's parade just prior to the Grand Prix and there was other things like it was a thrill, thrill for me to be asked to present the, the trophy to the winner of the, you know, of the 5,000 race and, um you know, there was a, quite a few things planned, which unfortunately just didn't happen. But, um, you know, I guess, uh, as I said before, there's a lot more people worse off than me, that's for sure. So, AJ, uh, we spent a little bit of time together during the year uh, travelling around the country with Lexus. So you're a brand ambassador for Lexus. Uh, you get to drive the LFA. They only actually let a couple of guys in the country drive the LFA. So I think there's only two. They don't let you drive it? They've let me do like an outlap just to warm the tyres up, AJ. <laughs> no, well, they've gotten rid of the old boy now and they've put the young bloke in. <laughs> that was only for one event and then I broke it. So I think you're back <laughs> in, mate. Uh, look, oh, yeah, no. you, you've had a special relationship with Lexus for a long time. And when you do come to the events, you get interviewed over lunch and all the guests absolutely love hearing about your story. Uh, even those events now have been postponed. So hopefully when we get going again, we'll be able to reconnect, get back to some racing, but also get back to some of these events with some of our partners also. Yeah, well, I look forward to it. And, you know, without peeing in your pocket, Tony, you do a good job as well. I mean, uh, it makes it easy for me because it's uh, it's not real hard to answer questions. And if, if they're the right sort of questions, it's even easier still. So it, I, I do hope we get back to work together. 
It's uh, it's not going to be too far away now. AJ, just before we let you go, your uh, your Twitter and your Twitch feeds have been really quiet. You're obviously just doing your online sim racing just privately, just uh, doing some your uh, e-motorsports um, b- behind closed doors. What's your take on simulator racing in, in replacement of the uh, the real thing while we're in this downturn? I'm just waiting for the day a 12-year-old kid comes in to become world champion. <laughs> it might not be too far away. Well, I mean, they're more apt to it than a lot of the people that are at the moment. I mean, you know, that these kids spend all day, every day, particularly now that they're locked inside on these simulators and everything. So one will come along and just wipe the floor with these guys, I'm sure of it. Well, uh, it's a strange world we live in, and a 12-year-old motor racing world champion would be even stranger. Alan Jones, thank you so much for joining Tony and myself on Parked Up. It's my pleasure, guys. So great to talk to AJ. Talking to a world champion is always pretty cool, TD. I get a little bit nervous, even though I know him pretty well. But just, uh, you know, you don't become world champion by accident. And uh, to talk to somebody with that title and uh, something that I suppose every race driver would always aspire to try and achieve uh, is a special thing. So it is a shame that we didn't get to celebrate what he had achieved in in his 40th anniversary of winning the world championship at the Grand Prix but obviously out of our control and we, we couldn't do anything about that. But it was really nice to hear that you know, Formula One had a few things planned and I think the S5000 trophy uh, was really fitting to have AJ as the, uh, the ambassador, so to, so to speak. So like I mentioned, I spent quite a bit of time with AJ. He's pretty dry, um, but he, he tells you what he's thinking. So he's quite funny in many ways as well. Yeah, no, a legend, and uh, it's great to have him on Parked Up. Now, uh, actually, I was going through the Australian Racing Group uh, truck, and because we didn't get to actually hand out the trophy, the Alan Jones trophy. It's just sitting in the truck. I, re- I reckon we should get it and just um, – what, 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 what would you do with the Alan Jones trophy? I would it'd go straight to the trophy room, that is for sure, and I don't care whether I didn't win it. <laughs> what story would you tell your mates when they see the Alan Jones trophy on your on your trophy cabinet? What would you actually tell? What furphy would you uh, this this uh, this broadcast not sponsored by the beer furphy? But what would what story would you tell them? Geez, you put me on the spot here, but it'd have to be that I literally dominated, won everything, qualified on pole, you know, quickest in practice, and basically just dominated the Formula One uh, weekend in S five thousand. Like you couldn't say that you know you lucked into it or anything like that. Would it really? Just, you know, I was just a legend. Well, there we go. Thanks for that. 2020 Formula One world champion S5000 something, Tony <laughs> Dalberto. So, okay, look, one legend to a another legend. A legend in his own right, a son of a legend as well. His name's Jack Perkins. I've been confused for him at the racetrack. We both wear glasses. Obviously, both good-looking lads. <laughs> it's time to talk to Jack. And on the line for his very, very first appearance on Parked Up. Actually, it's most people's uh, first appearance on Parked Up. We've only done five episodes. But his name is Jack Perkins. Uh, He is a good friend of ours, and we're glad to have Jack on the line. Thanks for joining us, mate. Hey, guys. It's my pleasure. I've been waiting all week for this. (laughs) Good on you. So, um, mate, massive things in your world, massive things in the entire world. But uh, you know, little new little uh, Jack Junior on the uh, on the block, little Miss Emmy, and um, a, a world that's gone absolutely completely insane since 
the last time we spoke. Tell us a little bit about your past five weeks, your uh, your coronavirus story. Yeah, it has. It's been crazy, hasn't it? Um, well, for, for us, obviously, myself and my partner Tara, we were lucky that uh, our little baby Emmy came along sort of before the whole coronavirus stepped up in, in Melbourne and Australia. So we didn't have any restrictions in the hospital and all that sort of jazz. Um, and, and it was just a, an amazing experience for both of us. Obviously, our first child and uh, she's been, you know, fantastic and just an absolute dream and just, yeah, one of the, obviously probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my life, to be honest. So, you know, we're wrapped, um, both Tara and I and, yeah, Emmy's doing really well. And I guess, uh, yeah, the, from the from a Jack point of view with the coronavirus, it's, we're, you know, busy getting ready to do some stuff at the Grand Prix and, and uh, that event got cancelled. So I, you know, decided to get up to our farm and, and start preparing for uh, what we do there in harvest time, which is, first of all, put the crop in. So we've been pretty busy up there, but also, you know, it's been a great excuse to sort of isolate from what's been happening amongst the masses in population sense. And, um, yeah, it's been to and from Melbourne between um, the farm and, and the work commitments that I've got here in Melbourne uh, at our factory, keeping that ticking on whilst maintaining all the self-isolation and social distancing and all that sort of stuff. It's an interesting time to be alive. It certainly is very interesting. And it's good to hear that you're keeping yourself nice and busy, helping out the old man. Now, he celebrated quite a significant birthday recently, didn't he? He did, mate. Yeah, March 18, he turned 70. And um, so we had a very small uh, setup for that up on the farm, just mum and dad and myself and Tara and Emmy. So, uh, yeah, it was obviously pretty cool just to spend some time with mum and dad and for them to spend some time with, with Emmy. It's, it's grandkid number four for them. So they obviously got to enjoy a bit of time together. But uh, yeah, my old man's not one to celebrate milestones and things. His terminology is press on and that's what he's doing. So he's, um, yeah, busy up there and just sort of ticking along. He, he doesn't feel 70, he reckons, which is encouraging. <laughs> Now, I've got a couple of kids myself, so I do know what it's all about. But it uh, sounds like Emmy is behaving herself. And uh, is she sleeping through the night or are you having to get up and uh, do a few feeds? Or is Tara looking after the show, mate? Uh, to be honest, she's going pretty good. And, and, yeah, congratulations to you guys as well for having your second one. Um, and, and you're definitely more experienced to uh, to know what, what, it's, um, what it's all about. Um, we um, we've we've had a pretty good run so far. Just to, um, only gets up once in the night for a feed, and um, thankfully um, sleeps sort of before and after that, and hasn't been too stressful or anything like that. So um, yeah, no, it's been really good. Obviously, it's it's a big change, um, but look, we've really really enjoyed every moment. And you know, thankfully, uh, Emmy hasn't sort of really annoyed us or anything yet so um it's encouraging signs for another one one day i suppose well well there you go there's the uh, there's the big news <laughs> scoop scoop. that we've there's the big news scoop that we've got for tonight actually you guys don't know any pain until you've uh, experienced a uh, coronavirus and a school shutdown and you're trying to do homeschooling oh. it is a it is a nightmare and i wish this virus away as quickly as possible jack uh, like you've uh, you've been keeping yourself well and truly busy 
just in the lead up to some of this uh, virus stuff with the Perkins engineering brand being um, plastered all over my uh, my Facebook pages uh, keeping me up to date with all the great restorations that the, that you guys have been doing Bathurst winners some of uh, your dads and the, the Perkins engineering teams cars tell us a little bit about why you guys got into the, the this project and and what's in store yeah so um for, for me i've always i've never really been full-time in the motor racing world as a driver or any anything like that so i've always you know worked for a living or done various things outside of racing and racetracks to to sort of sustain a living and you know, I was a sign writer for a long time and worked in various teams and some race shops and engine shops and stuff like that. And when when my work expired on the Gold Coast with Paul Morris many, many years ago, I was left thinking what what to do and came back to Melbourne to help Dad pack up Perkins Engineering. He just sold the business and the race team to the Kellys and needed a bit of a hand to move out of the factories that he had there in Moorabbin Airport. And, um, you know, we started make a few announcements obviously that Perkins Engineering was shutting down and it was coming quite common people would reach out to us and so say oh well I've got an old Perkins car what do I do or I've got an old engine what what am I going to do now sort of thing and I realized um, you know a bit of a light bulb moment for me was that there's still quite a lot of customers out there using Perkins gear the business built 49 race cars 198 engines so you've got nearly 200 odd customers there that are custodians or owners of those um, parts and equipment. And coupled with that, since 1986, when the business started, there's drawings for every component on race cars from VK Commodores right through to VY, VZs, VEs. So nearly 5,000 drawings are all, you know, potentially going in the rubbish bin. So I sort of took it upon myself to make sure none of that stuff got chucked out and started to answer a few of the calls and um, just do little things with the business. And that led to helping some guys with some restoration projects and tracking down some old cars. And lo and behold, where we are today, we've got a a couple of contract staff that are with us a few days a week and we're, you know, busy restoring cars. Admittedly, um, a couple of the projects are are ours, so to speak, so Dad and I, but we're also working quite closely with some some good customers um, and some other people that are restoring Perkins cars, not directly at Perkins Engineering, but, you know, whether it be interstate or whatnot. So, it's a it's a great little um, part, you know, thing to be involved with. I guess I've got a lot of uh, respect and um, things for for what the the business achieved. So to be sort of back involved with it and doing some different stuff with it, it's pretty cool. And obviously, if you can turn it into a little business and do some things like that along the way, it's um it's it's got its benefits as well. So I'm uh, really enjoying what we're doing there. And um, you know, we had our first proper project, the 2003. Bathurst car, which was Dad's last Bathurst car, where he finished fourth with Steve Richards. We finally finished that project and had it out at Phillip Island earlier, the, just before the Grand Prix, before all this other stuff got involved. So that was a very satisfying moment for us and for the sort of business, I guess. And um, yeah, it's just really, really fun to do. And the history of the sport is something I'm very proud of. And uh, yeah, there's certainly no shortage of work out there at the moment. And certainly amongst the the current situation with the coronavirus has been more and more interest in what we're doing and what people are doing. I think it's because blokes are in the shed with nothing better to do than play with their projects. So it's pretty cool. I actually uh, tuned in and watched a little bit of footage of your dad driving around Phillip Island. And uh, there's a bit of onboard footage of him hanging it out on the exit of Honda. And it made me laugh because he's obviously, you know, got on the gas and lit the rears up a little bit, but 
he didn't sort of come out of the gas to get under control. He just sort of pressed on with it. And I thought, <laughs> I thought that was absolutely fantastic. You know, probably hasn't driven a race car in a long time, but it all sort of came back to him. He looked pretty naturally out there. Yeah, it was, it was funny actually because the car I restored back to Bathurst spec, so that included the sat, the chassis set up and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it was quite stiffly sprung. So once he'd got around and was cruising around um, at Phillip Island, you know, he was complaining that it had no traction and, and no um, no grip, which, I mean, a bit of it's, um, pro- you know, probably the fact that it had the Bathurst set up in it. But the other part of it is, as you know, know TD, that the, the cars just don't have much grip. And, um, yeah. you know, we had we had new Dunlop tyres, hard tyres on it, but they'd be incredibly harder than what um, Dad remembers because I feel like they've got harder and less grip to drive over the years. Oh, absolutely. And especially the cars are way harder. <laughs> yeah, especially Philip Island. You can just bloody get a bit excited on the right foot and spin the wheel. So, yeah, he was having a bit of fun and then he wanted new tyres. I told him he's going to have to drive it a bit straighter before you get new ones. So you got your own uh, uh, your own bit of racing to come up later later this year with Tickford in the endurance races. If the endurance races go ahead, hopefully uh, everything's cleared by then. You're looking forward to that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully is probably the the, the most important word in it all. Um, but yeah, let's let's assume that uh, the endurance races are going to go ahead. Um, you know, I think. The Tail and Ben 500 race is obviously probably the most interesting out of them all. I'm going to miss not having Sandown there this year, but uh, you know, to be the opportunity to be with 23 Red with Phil Monday and Will Davis, and you know they kicked off the year really well, and even the Grand Prix qualifying, I think they were third for both races that they'd, they'd done. So the competitiveness is there, and they're obviously pretty keen to get behind the wheel of these Mustangs. They're, uh, you know, in my opinion, certainly the thing to be in. But um, let's just hope we can get to those races and, and get to have a good crack at it. Hopefully it won't be the only tracks that you're visiting as well. You have a new exciting role with the Australian Racing Group and Channel 7 through uh, some pit lane commentary and uh, some other bits of broadcasting that you're going to do that we can exclusively reveal right here on Parked Up as well. That's a uh, that's something that uh, you're going to be part of when uh, the world returns to its former self. Yeah, and that's something I was really, uh, you know, really excited for. Obviously, the um, TCR series last year, I got to fill in. Um, for a couple of the events and uh, really enjoyed being part of the product and the show and indeed the, the debut of the S5000. So for me, the, 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 the racing was you know something new to Australian audiences and to be a part of it all was, was fantastic. And obviously the second season um, was only going to be bigger and better. And, you know, I know the competitors and the teams and the owners, for example, are you know, incredibly keen to get that series back on track. So, Again, it's just a period of uncertainty, but once it gets going, it's going to be fantastic to watch. And, yeah, looking forward to being a part of it. Jack, great to hear from you today. Appreciate your time, and thanks for joining us on Parked Up. Yeah, thanks, guys, and hopefully we'll be on another time. Cheers, mate. So great to talk to Jack, and great that we're going to have him as part of our commentary team in the TCR Australia S5000 coverage that will be on Channel 7 as well. It just seems like so far away that um, cars will be on track and, and broadcasts will be happening, but it's it's kind of cool to, uh, to, to start thinking about that again and start almost getting ready to race.
Yeah, it sort of gets you a little bit excited, but I don't want to get too excited just yet. But it was good to listen and hear from Jack. He's obviously keeping really busy with his family business there with Perkins Engineering. It'd be nice to spend that time with your dad and also all that, all the history they've got and engineering work that uh, is coming their way. So that's great. A new child as well brings its own challenges, but it's probably the perfect time for this coronavirus, to be honest, in many ways, because we can't go anywhere. So he's spending that time with family rather than traveling all over the country. And I really do believe that this year, Jack's in a really good spot with Tickford and Will Davison. Going to be a good car, good combination there. So Fabs and I will have to do pretty well to, to get on top of them. Well, you guys can sort that out. Now, you actually mentioned a legend at the top of the show. We were uh, trying to talk about Peter Brock and your, um, your mind got sidetracked. Got sidetracked. You got sidetracked to JB. So, John Bow, Australian Touring Car Champion, two-time Bathurst winner. We're going to grab him on the phone right now. And on the line now, we have one of the legends of Australian motorsport and certainly the fella that I grew up idolising and uh, really helped with my love for, for motorsport. His name is John Bow. JB, thanks for joining us on Parked Up. Oh, look, it's a pleasure, mate. I, I didn't even know that, you know, idolised me when I, when you were a young man. So that's a bit of a feather in my cap, I reckon. There you go. Uh, my, I grew up in a uh, in a Ford household. And uh, look, obviously, as I moved into the uh, professional world of motorsport journalism, I needed to remain a little unbiased. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but certainly, um, I think I was telling Tony earlier in this episode that... Um, you had always given me a great deal of time, and regardless of whether I was asking uh, hard questions or, or easy questions, you always um, were, re- were really fair. See, you know why? Because I always really wanted to be a journalist. <laughs> right. No, 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 no bullshit. I, I always thought, you know, that I'd like to be, in a, like I didn't, my life didn't go that way, but I have always had a lot of time for motoring journos and you know people that are into motorsport but anyway that's by the by i'm sure you've got questions <laughs> <laughs> mate um tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your coronavirus story we've uh, we're in a parked up world and we're not going car racing we know how much you love car racing and mm. we can't do it at the moment tell us what your world looks like well my world looks very stationary you know the uh uh, I'm. I my whole life revolves around either motorsport or cars or car people or whatever. So at the moment, I'm not. I'm doing bugger all. What what I am doing is I'm doing a bit of training, which I sort of grown out of a bit. But uh, so I'm probably once we start racing again, I, I I guess that'll guarantee I probably won't have a heart attack. So that's that's <laughs> that's, that's a bonus. But um. Yeah, it's 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 really weird times for sure. I mean, there's a lot a lot of people worse, way worse off than I am because you know the the hospitality industry, the hotel industry, even the people that you know work in supercars. I was talking to uh, Kimmy Jones the other day, and you know they've had to you know, put their people on on you know whatever they call it, where you you take up all your holidays, and then if there's nothing doing, well they they haven't got a job. So mm. it's pretty pretty hard times, I got to say. Uh, but you know, as as Brad taught me to be back to me, I'm bored to death, to be honest. <laughs> I think we all are a little bit, sort of that monotonous, uh, sort of day in day out routine. But yesterday was a little bit of a different day for you, wasn't it? Celebrating a birthday? 
Oh, Jesus. Happy birthday, yeah. Jay, oh, no, thank you. Thanks, Tony. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to watch your uh, your uh, TCR thing tonight. I, I sort of I, I was busy yesterday, of course. I don't normally acknowledge birthdays. I try not to, but somehow this bloody Facebook thing, I don't know what happens, but everybody <laughs> in the world knew about it. So it's <laughs> It's a bit alarming, I, and, and I have to say I'm not a birthday boy. So, thank you everybody for your, your thoughts, and yeah, I actually they're quite touching a lot of them. So, but I'd rather forget that I was having one. It's good to know that people are thinking about you, though. But Facebook yeah, these nice, days, yeah. these days it does give you a big heads up, <laughs> so you don't forget yeah, people's that... birthday. But on Facebook yesterday, and I was talking about this earlier in the show as well. 248 race wins, 110 pole positions, and 199 fastest laps. Like, that is absolutely incredible for a 22-year-old. Well, I know. I, I think tax, what it means is <laughs> that I've been there such a long time, you see. I think, and I think when I'm serious, which I sort of am now, I, I'm very grateful mm. for, the, for the opportunity to keep racing and to be involved in various categories in some way or other. I mean, I actually really genuinely, I know you guys know this, but I genuinely love motorsport. I've been in it since I was a child, as you have, Tony, but mm. you're a child a lot later than me. <laughs> so I've been in it a long time. Yeah, you've and been... I can't wait for it to start again. Oh, I think we all can't wait. It's sort of getting that period now where we're all itchy feet. We want to start racing. We're obviously doing this online stuff, which you spoke about. But, you know, you've been so successful all your life in motorsport uh, and those sort of stats there really sort of highlight it. So for yourself, you know, sitting on the sideline, not doing any racing must be really, really tricky. Well, it is because a lot of the things I do, as you're aware, because you've done it, um, the, you know, sponsor interaction with the, the associations you have with their customers, Things like that, you know, none of that's going on at the moment. None of it. Mm, So everything's switched off. So not only, you know, I spend most of my life uh, doing something like that or scheming about motorsport, how to make the car go faster or how to get more money to make the car go Mm, faster, you know. So so it's all stopped. Now, like I said, there's a lot worse off for me, but Mm. I tell you, you go a bit stir-crazy. You can only look at so many pictures of yourself. (laughs) Now, JB, uh, this is actually our fifth episode of Parked Up. So we've well, I didn't even know you were doing it. So oh, you don't say that. You mean to say you're like, you know, you listen every week. Uh, no, well, I will now, but I had no idea, you know, like unless it, you know, someone sends me a note. Or, I'm going to send you, you a know, note. <laughs> please, it all comes up on, on my Facebook or something. I don't know. I read that quite often so um but we are not really doing a tribute but we're mentioning and we're talking to our our guest tonight uh about peter brock and you know we yes. all sort of think about oh five and being our fifth episode so surely okay. you've got some you know a fantastic story to tell us uh, about uh-huh. peter and maybe an incident on track or something that no people wouldn't know i had i made i had a, quite a lot of incidents on track with him but um <laughs> Uh, when I first, my first uh, touring car, it was the Australian Touring Car Championship then. My first uh, round was in Adelaide. It was like halfway through the season at AIR. And uh, I qualified on the front row and then I ran out of talent down at the first corner. So I didn't go, go very far. <laughs> and then the following weekend, we were in Perth and I was on pole and Brock was next to me. 
so that was the first time that I'd actually raced against him, you know, yeah. and it was interesting. He was a very, very clean driver. You know, he was way more clean than me, for instance. You know, I used to give him quite a hard time many times. He, he had this un, unlikely ability to turn his head completely around and look at the, at the back window. I don't know how he actually managed it, but he did it. And he had these big dark eyes and they'd be glaring at you as you bumped his rear bumper. I've got, I've got good memories of him, honestly. We, I used to have some great uh, conversations. He had some very unusual ideas, which were always, you know, well explained. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things when someone, you know, passes away. It's like President Kennedy, John Lennon and, you know, Peter Brock. You know exactly what you were doing. And where you were when it happened, because you just remember those sort of things. And he was, you know, he was an idol of many. Yeah, he certainly was, and and I guess um, a legend forever. But such a shame that he didn't get to be that legend in in life. Now I always think that you know he would have been able to really grow into that that legend sort of status that. Yeah, he still yeah. holds, but uh, you know, the grand grand statesman he would have been, wouldn't he? You know, I mean, uh, he was he was a great guy with with people. So yeah, he would have. It was shame, a shame. I mean, he. This is my version of this, or my view of it, of course. So it may not be a hundred percent correct, but he, when he retired, I think he was probably forcibly retired. You know, as people are sometimes, and he didn't really want to be retired, and he sort of came back every now and again and did some races and that's why he was doing this these targa events you know because of his desire to compete but you know what i know about these targa events you cannot drive like you do on a racetrack and and i think that was his undoing unfortunately which is which is very sad very sad because there was very there would be no one like him again you know and there was no one like him before really he was pretty unique um, let, let me ask Tony a question then. Okay, yeah. Can I ask you a question, Tony? Did you did you have much to do with Brocky in your when your early days, you know, development series and early uh, supercar races? Uh, I didn't have a huge amount. I mentioned a little story uh, earlier in the podcast about how I first met him through Dad's business with the spray painting uh, with HSV, and he actually came yeah. to our workshop because he'd scratched his car, and we we repaired it for him. Um, oh, okay. The only other time that I really got to speak to him, uh, probably a little bit more than just a, hey, how you going in, in the pit lane, was we sat next to each other at a signing session uh, at Bathurst one year and I got yeah, to have yeah. a chat to him. And obviously the crowd that he would attract, like a lot of the big yeah. stars, uh, and at that time then people just probably thought I was filling up the posters. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> the queue looked big for me, but it was all there for, for Brocky. And yeah, I didn't have a huge amount to do with him at that, at that time, unfortunately, but I do have some fond memories, uh, growing up and obviously being, you know, having the Holden, uh, heritage that we had with, in our family. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Brocky was sort of the one that we were going for. No offense, JB. You, you was, no, the, no, you, it's were all right, mate, you were the villain back then. That is for yeah. sure. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know but, that, mate. I, I, lo- I love being the villain, to be honest. But, but that's um, what was great about it, though, because it had, you know, the the rivalry there, and that's what's yeah, that's yeah. why sports so so great, and that's what we needed, um, and that's what built supercars, to be honest. You know, yourself, Johnson, Brocky, all those guys that uh, people idolise um, and race really hard on the track, and you needed a villain there to the one that sort of would 
elbow him out the way and and smile on the other end of it as well. Yeah, yeah. The uh, it, it was um, the the likes of, of I I think this anyway. The likes of Peter Brock and Dick Johnson will will never be again because you know it was in an era when there wasn't a lot of televised sport. You know, you didn't have the choices you've got now. People, the audiences have got so many choices, and those guys were, you know, genuine. I mean, Dick's a, a knockabout bloke. Meeting now, as you both know, he's just the same as he was in the in the 80s or even the late 70s. So they were kind of heroes to a different era. Nowadays, the heroes are, you know, Jamie and Van Giz and, of course, Craig Lowndes and all those guys, but they're different sort of heroes, aren't they? Times change, unfortunately, sometimes. Well, JB, I can tell you, you were uh, absolutely uh, my hero growing up. Um, I, I, Yeah, as I say, I grew up in a Ford household. Grant, I tell you what, when I see you next, I'm going to embrace you in a very... <laughs> Uh, in a very, very caring way. <laughs> Thanks, JB. Thanks, JB. Social distancing will be excluded for, yeah. for that. Um, I'll have my mask on, though, mind you. <laughs> you're currently competing in the Gulf Western Oil Touring Car Masters, as you have done for the past few years, now in, Long a, years, yeah. in, a, in a Holden Tirana. Um, just your quick thoughts on, on that class and its significant place that it holds in Australian motorsport? Well, uh, first of all, I compete in that class because I love the cars. They're a bit, bit raw. They don't have um, a lot of uh, technology, even though, quite honestly, they're a lot better than they ever were back in, say, Brocky's day. But um, they're just a bit raw to drive and they're not. we're not surrounded by technology and data and all that sort of stuff. So it's it's for me it's more enjoyable. I did quite a lot of GT racing as well, and it's so scientific that I'm not sure I really want to do it anymore. Um, and the, we have a fan base for Touring Car Masters that I guess it's you know my era, people younger than me, but grew up in watching those sort of cars, and a lot of them bring their kids and their grandchildren now. So it's got a real following because they're actually real cars they're made out of cars you've got to find one make it into a decent body shell which is not always easy because most of them are worn out or rusted away and then you've got to make it into a race car so there's a our last round at uh, or our only round this year at adelaide jared mcleod turned up with a commodore it's the first year that commodores have been allowed in and, it's, and the Falcon XD that Stevie J's got. Stevie well. J's got, which is like a painted the same colour as his dad's true blue. And, you know, it's the, the Commodore particularly because his father raced, and his father wasn't well known like Dick Johnson was, but his father raced the Commodore in those colours back in the day. And it's just, you know, I just think it's terrific. It's, uh, I can't honestly wait to get back in it again. It's It suits me at my you know, veteran stage, if you want to call it something. I used to hate people calling me a veteran, but I can't deny it anymore. So tell us, what what is the future for yourself as as a driver? Please don't take this like I want to kick you out. No, you no, You can no, stay no. as long as you like. But how many more no, years look, do you actually see yourself being, you know, the driver? And look, you you know, you still um, are operating in that top dozen of, uh, top top half dozen of in that Touring Car Masters field. Uh, well, um, before the coronavirus, I would have said I was going to drive till I'm 80, and I genuinely mean it, but maybe not in Touring Car Masters, I don't know. But at the moment, there's so, such unknown around that 
you know, who knows? All I want know is that I want to keep racing because it's my thing, you know. I mean, it's not just my thing, it's my life. So whatever it is, I, I'm, I hope to continue in Touring Car Masters for a few more years. And, you know, after that, I, I don't know, but I'll buy a little historic car or something and I'll get a trailer and, a, a you know, a four-wheel drive ute and off I'll go. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think uh, you'll ever stop racing myself. I've got uh, a little story, a little memory that I want to share with our uh, listeners. We've actually yeah. shared a car together. Now, it was a beautiful yeah. Ferrari 458 and it was at Townsville. Yeah. I think 2016 yeah, or 2017, one of those years. It was that your, was great your first time at Townsville. And this is what seriously impressed me. And, and you know, it's not about, tonight's not about, uh, you know, you know, kissing ass or anything like that. I can say that <laughs> in our own podcast, but. I wouldn't expect you to do that, mate. <laughs> at the time, I'd just come off full-time supercar racing and probably yeah. as fresh as I'm ever going to be. And and we, we end up winning the weekend, uh, which was fantastic. But the thing that really impressed me, you'd never been to Townsville before, and in the last race, you were what, less than a tenth uh, off my fastest lap, which was the fastest lap of the race, which I thought was a really incredible achievement in many ways because I was absolutely wringing its neck. You know, I was driving yeah, no, as fast no. as I could, and... Here's JB, who has got a lot of years on me and is meant to be past his prime, and he's almost going quicker than me. So oh, I was, either, either I needed to pull my socks up or you were just doing a, an ex- exceptional job. But, you know, to get all those poles and race wins and all sort of stuff, it doesn't happen by accident. So uh, it's been a big credit to you to achieve all those things in your career, and I think that you know, you probably forget some of those milestones, but we certainly don't, JB. Thank you, mate. Look, honestly, that I totally enjoyed driving with you for a start because you're very good at it and you're a great bloke. So it was really, I love, you know, a lot of the times in my racing life when, you know, I was what you would call a professional, I drove for people because they were my friends rather than because mm. they had the best cars. So I, I enjoyed racing with people that I like. And, you know, the best thing about that Townsville race, your dad, who I'm very fond of, he got a replica trophy made and and gave it to me, which I think (laughs) was that no one's ever done that before. That was such a nice thing to do. Now he, he's a good supporter and he, he Yeah, I know. And they most people just, you know, like if you're driving for someone else, they take the trophy and they disappear. Yep. But not not that I care about trophies, but it was it was just a really nice thing to do so yeah i've got good memories of that yeah that very was a good. really good time driving with marinello beautiful car and a great uh group of people with mark coffee you know that was really really cool so look thank you for joining us today on parked up uh it's been a great episode we've got some big names and certainly to finish off our show having you on board was really cool so thank you jb look after yourself and we'll see you Pleasure, soon. mate. I look forward to, to seeing you both very soon. I hope it's very soon. And, uh, yeah, let's – let's uh, send me the link, will you, so I can listen to you every – how often is it on? <laughs> uh, we, we do it weekly. And, okay. And um, we actually even got our own little Facebook page as well now. We know, okay. we like, well, we know you like Facebook, so we'll Well, uh, I'm not we'll sure I like link. it, but I <laughs> – sometimes I don't like it. But, anyway, it's part of our lives, isn't it? JB, thank you so much for joining us on Parked Up. All right, see you, boys. Thank you, mate. See ya.
Wow, that turned into a bit of a love fest there, didn't it? JB was saying very kind things about myself and I was saying kind things about him and you said that he was one of your idols and it just was a big love fest there. But uh, great to chat to JB. He really is an icon of Australian motorsport and he does it because he absolutely loves it and I can't see him stopping anytime soon. He's as competitive as ever, but he does just live and love motorsports. So he's he's a true gentleman and he's part of the ARG group as well. He's racing under our banner, so to speak, and uh, he's been part of the Pace family for a long time. So great to speak to him today. Sounds like he's going pretty good and uh, sounds like he's really, really eager to get back on in a race car. Always a friendly face to see in the in the paddock. Such a competitive guy and so fast as well. In his prime in those uh, late 80s and early 90s in, in touring car racing. Just thinking about touring cars, was, he was a open wheel expert um, well before he was a, a, a touring car driver. But in his heyday as a touring car driver, you know, he was absolutely right up amongst the best and probably in the top five, top ten touring car drivers in the world. So, and, and like, easy to, easy to forget about that with JB because, you know, he's been hanging around the sport for a long time and his supercars career uh, lasted so long, you know, ending in... It did, he didn't end until t- 2007, I think, with Crookshanks in the, in the Glenford's Falcon and that was his farewell farewell year it really wasn't a great year for him to end like not in the in that results department only a few years before that he was a genuine threat driving for brad jones racing so his career was mainly spent at the front of the field and um, a true legend of the sport and and great to have him as part of the touring car masters family and as he just said he, he he's not going to see that ending anytime soon so like it or not people JB is going to be hanging around the the paddock. So there we go. That is episode five of Parked Up, Done and Done. Tony, what, what do you give us out, out of five? What's your five-star rating? <laughs> oh, look, it was a bit rocky to start with, but I think we came home strong. We had some great guests today, so thank you to them. And we had plenty to talk about, even though we're not going racing at the moment. And each week we do chat about who we can talk to next. And I do have to give a little bit of credit to my dad. Because he did, he did say that uh, we should get AJ on the phone. He actually listened to our podcast uh, from last week and said, and texted me straight away and said, get AJ on. So we did. I did as a good son should, and I uh, took his advice, and I think it turned out well. Yep, and I had a mate from my early days of high school send a message to say that we should talk to Larry Perkins, and I thought... Oh, shit, getting Larry's going to be way might might be a little bit more difficult, but I know I can just call Jack. So um, we, we're starting to get some really good feedback and very quick free plug for the Parked Up Podcast Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash Parked Up Podcast. That's what I called it. Do you like that? You probably didn't even know that. Do you like that? I do like it. Yeah, everyone should get on board. I think we're up to about six subscribers now. <laughs> no, 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 it's going a bit better than that. But uh, when you take out the Delberto family and the Rolly family and every other family that we know and we're paid to actually listen, it uh, could be a little bit better. That's it. Episode, episode five, parked up. It's in the can. We'll see you next time. See ya.